Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Era Podcast brought to you by the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is YouTuber and farmer Josh Satin. Over the last two years, Josh has built a following of over 160,000 subscribers on YouTube and also has built a business selling products to restaurants and chefs all over Raleigh, North Carolina. The purpose of his channel is to educate and promote sustainable agriculture to people. He's really carved a niche out for himself in the farming community on YouTube because his quality and the level of production that he's putting into his videos is much higher than the rest. Josh reached out to me on Instagram and I've never really been in the farming community on YouTube before. It's not something I personally have any interest in, but once I started seeing his videos, I really was excited to get him on the show. Not only has he grown as a filmmaker with no experience, but he's also been able to build a business doing YouTube full time. It was really interesting to hear Josh's journey on YouTube. So without any further ado, let's listen in on my conversation with Josh Satin. So Josh is a content creator, YouTuber, and you actually reached out to me, uh, I don't know, a couple days ago on Instagram. And I took a look at your channel and was just really impressed with what you've been able to achieve uh, as a farmer and doing farming content, a total niche that I'm not uh, really aware of. It's not something that I personally follow. The only people that I've ever seen have been like uh, when wildfires happen and then some of these farmer YouTubers will will share, you know, how much crop they lost or whatever. Um, and then you can kind of go into the weeds of that. But it's it's amazing on YouTube how many different niches there are out there. And it's one of the topics of conversation often on this show is obviously the camera and filmmaking niche. Uh, but you're in the farming niche and uh, you've got over 160,000 subs. You're going to hit 200 before you know it. And um, this, I assume, is, if not your main full-time thing, you know, a pretty large size of that obviously farming uh itself is has income involved but tell me about yourself tell me about the channel how it came to be you mentioned you were a teacher i mean let's just get kind of the nutshell of josh uh to get started here yeah absolutely uh my background is pretty interesting uh as most farmers that i talk to have pretty interesting backgrounds uh, went to school for engineering and mathematics originally and taught high school math for five years. And then I was a professional brewer for five years. So that was an interesting change of pace. Ah, um, and got after a, got that, the, the face <laughs> of a brewer for sure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I've got a if face guys, for radio and you've got a face for brewing. <laughs> yeah. I, the funny thing is I had the beard before uh, I was a brewer. So it, you know, I fit the role pretty well. Yeah, so uh, my wife and I are both from uh, Boston originally, and we're now living in Raleigh, North Carolina. And when we moved here, we kind of wanted to live a little more sustainably. We both grew up really urban, and uh, so we bought a property that has two acres. Nice. Most of it's wooded, and uh, just you know started like let's grow some of our own food. We got some chickens. Um, sort of started to think about homesteading, which is kind of like that you know people that are growing their own food, living a little bit more sustainably, and. Uh, I just caught the bug hard. I like <laughs> set up my my vegetable beds like the pros do, and I just got really, really into it. I'm just the kind of guy that just gets really into whatever I'm into. And so uh, a previous business of mine, I owned a homebrew store, so selling ingredients and equipment to people that are you know looking to make their own beer. And my biggest thing that I struggled with and that I learned from was I was terrible at marketing. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I didn't want to put the energy in. I thought people would just show up and the business was okay. And I did sell it when we moved. But when I started a farm here, 
I was like, I gotta start marketing. So I got on Instagram and just worked really hard. I have no background in marketing. As I said, engineering and mathematics, I always thought marketing was like this dark magic. And so to <laughs> me, I just really tried to build my Instagram account. That was my first like foray into like social media. And I posted every day for a year and, you know, tried to really put a lot of thought and effort into each post. Mm -hmm. And I started getting a lot of questions about content, you know, like in terms of like how to farm, you know, growing techniques, things like that. And I, I started making short videos and now when I look back on them, they're like cringy. But, you know, then it was, <laughs> you know, 59 seconds, right? Because this was really before any of the other things in Instagram. It was pretty basic. And I just wanted to make more longer form content. And I've been watching tons of YouTube content, learning how to grow food and, and, and farm and all that kind of stuff. And there was a couple people out there. And I just, as the teacher inside of me was like, let's, let's start YouTube. And so that was my first video when I went up just over two years ago. So it was like the end of March, uh, 2019. And yeah, so I just started there. I didn't expect this kind of growth or it, it was, it's been crazy. That's all I have to say. So I'm, I got your channel pulled up right now and I go back two years and it's amazing. Some of your early videos have a lot of views on them. Like uh, one of them, how to start lettuce seeds has almost a hundred thousand views now. Uh, the new garden beds, no till with chickens has over 600,000 views. And then a year ago, you had a video called a trellis to make you jealous, which is an amazing title. Uh, that video <laughs> has over 2 million views. So you definitely tapped into something that a lot of creators never get the chance to have, which is a very early uh, kind of success. I don't know if some of those videos now that you have been more established, people are going back and seeing those and YouTube suggested is kind of pushing those to them. Um, but did you see some early, you know, success or maybe were you a little bit surprised with the response from some of your early videos? Yeah, blown away. Um, you know, I was sort of, if you, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos. So to me, I could sort of have a little bit of a game plan of like where I wanted to fit in with the other people creating similar content. Mm -hmm. And I tried to keep my niche obviously very specific about small scale, like sustainable ag or agriculture. Sorry, I forget. I'm not talking to like, you <laughs> know, shop farming people. Yeah, totally. I mean, from um, now on, if he says ag, you know what he means. So <laughs> agriculture. Yeah. And so I sort of had an idea, like I want to keep it narrow, but as wide of a scope as possible. So my channel is really geared towards anyone from like small scale home gardening to more like homesteading and then to small commercial growers. And I'll get into more of the types of content. But to answer your question, the growth was crazy. That first video, Trails to Make You Jealous, that was about two months after I started my channel and it that went completely viral. That's amazing. And it was, it was crazy because there was, uh, when it went viral, um, there was there was days I got like two thousand subscribers in a day, like it was mind blowing, and incredible. Yeah, and that pushed me over the monetization point. And the crazy thing is, I got mon after applying for it, I got monetized in four days, which was crazy. Nice. So <laughs> from then, I'm thinking, all right, well, I gotta I gotta take this a little more seriously. I was, invest more time, and you know, took as much as I could, making all the money I made from just dumping it back into equipment and teaching yeah. myself how to be a better filmmaker. That's amazing. And what was it about that video um, that that kind of triggered the algorithm, if you will? D were you able to go back and kind of, now that you know what you know, was there something about um, a trellis to make you jealous that uh, that took off like crazy? Um, is it just a popular topic? Did it get hooked into some sort of blog or something like that? Like what happened? 
Yeah, not that I know of. I mean, I think it's sort of classic, um, you know, YouTube strategy. You know, good title thumbnail, obviously. It's like a nice photo, good title. Uh, and for me, before I posted it, I actually had looked at all the other tre trellis videos. And if you guys don't know a trellis, it's a structure that you can set up in your garden where tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff like grow up them. And so I was going to post it out and it's, you know, it's a timely video. So people are looking, they're planting out their tomatoes in the spring and then they get big and they go, hey, I need a trellis system to have my tomatoes grow up them. And so I posted it right at the right time. And I looked at the other videos that were out there and kind of just figured out where mine would fit. And with a lot of my content, it's very direct. It's very informational, very educational. Um, and the funny thing about that video, I've obviously spent a lot of time analyzing it, is the audio is terrible in that video. <laughs> I had just got a new camera and like I didn't have the audio up high enough on the microphone and I don't even think I knew how to turn it up in the computer. So uh -huh. yeah, I mean, it was two months into YouTube and I don't really have a filming background at all. I mean, really not much, pretty much none. Well, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know now. I mean, we're looking at on the YouTube video here. You got a nice uh, FX6 with a Sure SM7B. Your 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 shot looks better than mine. So, which is kind of <laughs> funny. Well, I love it. You know, I said earlier, I just get into whatever I'm into, and uh, I love the gear. I love the cameras. I'm always looking to eke out a little bit of quality. And I think some of the videos that I do, especially when I'm filming other people and I go to visit other farmers and check out mm -hmm. their farms and I do tours and interviews and I just want to make them look as beautiful as possible because there's so much beauty in the way that these people are growing food and I just want to oh, do yeah. them justice. So to me, I'm always like, how can we make this look better? You know, how can I improve my quality? Um, and then I do a live show every two weeks. So that's why I have this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so as you started to develop your skill as a videographer, if you will, and a YouTuber, what were some of the things that you started learning along the way that, that have made your channel grow even faster? I mean, it, you know, if I, if I look at most recent videos and compare it to your oldest videos, one of the things that really stands out to me is the vividness of the colors, the clarity of your thumbnails, um, really clean, uh, and well composed thumbnails. Um, have you seen, you know, a change in that? What, when, when was that light bulb moment for you? Uh, and, and how did you even learn to do that in the first place? Cause now you're essentially a photographer and a, and a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Dave. I appreciate it. Um, I think it's just when you're trying to do anything, you're trying to get better at it. And when you're like, Hey, why did this not get views? You know, what's wrong with this thumbnail? What's wrong with this title or something that does work? You just analyze it over and over and over again until you're trying to figure it out. And to me, some of that stuff comes from, you know, what I've learned in farming and uh, permaculture is another buzzword that maybe some of you guys have heard, but permanent agri agriculture. And one of the things with that school of thought is that you you do a lot of observation and you like observe and then figure out what's going on and then make an adjustment to make it work. So to me, it's just been a lot of, you know, trial and error and learning. And obviously, I, you know, I, I consume a lot of YouTube content as well about content creation. So uh, just self-taught um, and yeah, just, just working really hard at it. I th and I appreciate the comments about the colors and stuff. I think for me, I look at other people in the farming community. The, the videos don't look like this. Um, a lot of them are handheld and shaky, and I mm -hmm. use a tripod almost all the time and just really try to – I mean, I can't imagine anyone else in the farming community shooting in log. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, color grade totally. everything. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean – when you're talking about other people in the in the niche though that are more shaky and handheld, like do they have more views? Are they bigger channels too? 
So it's interesting because there's the homesteading community, which are the people that are not growing commercially. And that whole niche on YouTube is crazy. Like those people mm. get way more views than I do. Like if I just walked around to me, it's funny I say that, but like, you know, collecting eggs and having my kids run around and more of like a reality show kind of, you know, thing. Those channels are monstrous uh-huh. uh, in the commercial small scale farming world. There's not many channels. Uh, because mm. most of the people are farmers. And yeah. so for me, like <laughs> I had no, to farm part time no to be able to do a YouTube channel. channel. Yeah, yeah. They don't exactly. have time. You yeah. know, like farming is is extremely intensive on energy and time. So Yeah. Yeah. For me, I had to figure out a way to find a balance and that's been really tricky. So mm. I farm part time. Yeah, I I think it's uh oh, so you farm part time so that your YouTube channel is also the other part. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of funny. It's kind of like how uh, a lot of the gear reviewers are. It's like we would shoot projects occasionally freelance so that we have footage for our reviews. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like a weird meta thing where I'm a filmmaker, but I'm not making any films. I'm just reviewing cameras all the time, you know? So um that's why I'm leaving the space, honestly. But anyways, um, <laughs> what's interesting, though, and something that I picked up on recently from hearing Mr. Beast talk and, and hearing uh, Hayden Hillier-Smith in our interview, who's uh, Logan Paul's editor, they intentionally shoot handheld. They intentionally shoot rough and dirty. Uh, and we're talking about Mr. Beast, you know, one of the biggest YouTubers on the planet right now. He said in his interview with Colin and Samir recently that like he chooses to shoot on crappy cameras and to not make it look good. Um, so that that there's an intentionality behind that. But there's also the flip side of like you're filling a, a niche that isn't there. You, nobody is doing what you're doing. So you're kind of, you know, you stand out above the rest, uh, you know. So I think there's value on both sides. Um, but it does make sense to me that, you know, the homestead reality show type people who just shoot on probably like a g7x you know vlog style um with shaky footage and bad audio they probably get more views because it's more relatable and and there's a personality behind it you know um i mean have you thought about that is there have you thought about you know am i going too far here with the production quality or you know things like that Oh, absolutely. Like, do I need to be shooting like on a $6,000 rig when I'm like out in my backyard? Like, absolutely not. Um, I think to me, though, it's just when I'm making videos, like I don't want to edit and put that out as a piece, right? Like I don't, I'm not happy with it personally with the uh, with the quality. So I'm just going to push it as far as I can and, and am able to. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of that homesteading content, it's, it's about the content. Like not a lot of people are growing for profit. And so some of my content doesn't get as much views because it's, you know, the home, the gardeners aren't really, you know, interested in that material, but that's what I'm doing. So that's what I'm sharing. Yeah. And I think in a way too, because you're, you're commercial, you're doing commercial stuff, like it's a reflection on your product too. So you want to, you know, you want to make high quality stuff because if somebody sees your video and then they actually end up being a client, you know, it's kind of a reflection on, yeah, he's like, you know, Josh is high quality. He's doing this and that. And like, you know, his stuff is way better than everybody else's. And that reflects down onto his crops, you know? Yeah, I think you just got to be professional with everything you're doing. I mean, just do your best. And I feel like, you know, with my videos, that's what I'm trying to do for sure. So what what are some things that you would share to somebody who just comes up to you on the on the street and is like, hey, I want to start a YouTube channel. I'm interested in whatever, just some random hobby. Uh, maybe it's a profession. Uh, I think it's great to have you on the show because you are in a niche that we don't typically get to explore. 
So are there some general rules of thumb when it comes to becoming a content creator that you would share to somebody starting out? Uh, it's not easy. Um, and I think that you got to be real about if you really want to get traction, like you have to put a lot of work in. I, I think mm -hmm. people see the successes and, you know, you see like, oh, Josh, you're at 160,000 subscribers. I'm like, do you know how many hours I put into this? <laughs> how much like struggle I've had learning how to use equipment? Um, but I think the, the best thing is, you know, as, as most creators say, like focus on content, focus mm -hmm. on story, mm -hmm. um, is I, in a lot of times in my world, if the audio is good, people don't care about the video. Like yep. that's, that's the reality. So if you're getting information out, I think that's important. Yeah. Audio and is a lot, key. It's uh, it's, it's really key. Important. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, I've approached this very differently because I didn't mean for this to be income. I didn't mean for this to try to, I just took sponsors a few months ago. So, mm. I mean, I was, I don't even know the subscriber kind I was at, but I, I purposely held off. Like I don't have a paywall. I don't even have a Patreon page. Um, for me, it's, it's most important to get this content out to help people grow food. So to me, the goal was never like grow the channel, make it a full-time job. Um, but now that I'm getting paid for it, it, I can give time to it. So I don't think I really answered your question about newbie no, no, I mean, getting into content creation. No, you did. It's just like a lot of people think, um, it's easy. I mean, it's, it's obviously not easy. It takes a lot of time and consistency for me personally. When I was starting my channel, it took about a year of posting twice a week, every single week, nonstop to like get to a point where sponsors were coming in. And, you know, for me as a camera reviewer, people were, you know, companies like Sony and stuff were starting to reach out and whatever, but it took, a, it was a full-time job and it's hard to think about, you know, starting when you're also doing something else part-time. So, uh, it just takes a lot of, a lot of hard work, but the great thing is there's no barrier of entry other than work. There's nobody, you know, at the gate saying you can't come in here because you're not this person or that, like you can really do it no matter who you are. Um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I think one of the most beautiful things about YouTube, I just love YouTube for so many reasons, but one of the most beautiful things is that everyone uploads the same way. Like everyone, <laughs> everyone pushes upload the exact same way, no matter who you are and how big or small your channel is. We all go through that same, the same way that we upload video and same yep. analytics and all that stuff. Uh, and that's really special. And I think another thing I want to point out is consistency is key. Mm -hmm. Um, we set these as creators, we set these ridiculous goals on ourselves. Like, and no <laughs> yeah. one's, no, no one's holding our feet to the fire. Like, you know, for me, I post twice a week and I had to make mm -hmm. a schedule or I would slack off because yeah. you, there's always something else. You're like, I don't feel like filming today. I don't feel like being on camera. And yeah. you know, you just don't want to put, put it on that day. But to me, I post every Monday, Thursday, and I've stuck to two videos a week, pretty much for two years. That's awesome. I flirted with three a week. I actually did daily videos for a month. We could talk about that. <laughs> that's something yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think consistency is key. Oh, t tell me about your daily month. Why did you decide to do that and how did yeah, it go? Yeah, so this is very interesting. I would never do it again. Um, I think I've always been fascinated, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this about daily vlogging or just, you know, that really consistent vlogging experience. Like, you know, everyone watched Casey and loves his work, but... Man, when you try to do that, it's it's wild. <laughs> and so I never wanted to vlog daily, but what happened when COVID hit, I noticed that YouTube went pretty quiet, like really quiet, like across mm -hmm. the board, different genres, different niches. Yeah. 
Like no one knew what to post content about. No one like, can I just post a camera review right now? Like, really? Do I need to like <laughs> yeah. do a review on this lens? Like, who cares right now? It got really serious. And in the farming community, no one there was no there wasn't a peep out of anyone. And so I did just the opposite. I I was loud. I was like, I'm gonna be here for you guys. I'm gonna show you what I'm going through. And I know a lot of people were just struggling with the whole thing, mentally, physically, just wow tired just at home yeah. but confused and i was just like i'm just gonna be here every day so i just vlogged for a month and it was like mid-march through mid-april uh okay. last year and so how are you able to sustain that did you kind of lower the production quality of those particular videos and make it more of a linear like beginning to end of your day daily vlog kind of thing or uh no i didn't <laughs> i still i still like graded everything and you know i i couldn't like let it down my quality um but yeah shooting every day is really hard i mean it makes you Makes you more productive, I would say, because you're like, oh, I got to do something today because uh, yeah. I got to film it. I, I did switch up uh, styles. I did like a and a one day. I think I did a live thing one day. Um, I tried like being a few days ahead to give yeah. myself a buffer. It didn't work. You yeah. get so confused because you're like, wait, did I say this yesterday? Did I say this three days ago? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was a totally. good experience. Uh, got really good at working my camera. That's all I have to say. That's like scary. editing vlogs. Yeah. Um, I think it really helped with my workflow. Like when I do a vlog or any sort of vlog style content, mm -hmm. it's so easy now. It goes quickly. Absolutely. I think um, if, if anybody's got a YouTube channel and they've never done daily and, and it's a channel that could potentially do it, I think it's doing what Josh did is maybe a good idea just to learn what Josh learned there. Like you really get to know your camera. You really hone in your, your uh, productivity. Uh, if you have a set, especially I think um, once you start doing daily content, you, d you figure out your lighting and like everything to just be as turnkey as possible so that you just turn it on and go. Um, I am good friends with a guy named Levi Allen who, uh, has a, a channel, um, and he does uh, van life stuff. We had him on the show and he, uh, worked with Casey Neistat during that time when Casey was doing the daily vlogs, he helped him shoot one of them. And he told me how unbelievably, um, just productive he was and, and and efficient he would pretty much only film for about four hours uh and then he'd be done with the whole thing and he knew exactly where he was going with it he had like bullet points on what to, to cover as far as a story and uh he just would kind of just push record say his line hit cut move on to the next thing record cut like he was literally editing it live he he wouldn't just ramble um that way the editing would be much faster because you're able to just one take but he was also in that perfect headspace of like doing it every day for two years i'm sure he just got into such a good rhythm that uh it became just second nature for him but obviously uh it's kind of sad that he stopped but i understand that uh, it was taking a toll on his his marriage and his his life as a, a father as well. So, uh, kudos to him for stopping. But <laughs> it's crazy yeah, I, though. I, I definitely cleared that with my wife before. I was like, "Is this cool? Like, this is a commitment." You <laughs> a know, one month I, I made commitment, sure right one month commitment. I had no plans of sustaining it. But I think there's a lot to say about the workflow there. Uh, when I shoot content that's you know within a few hours, or even most of my stuff shot in a day. I generally don't like to drag things over a day. You know, shooting things in order helps a lot. And yeah. I also notice, like, if I'm ever, you know, if I need any B-roll to overlay, like, after I do a clip, I'll stop, I'll take those shots, so that when I go to the edit, everything's in order. That has been yeah. huge for me. 
Um, and I also try to edit as quickly as possible after shooting because the longer you wait, you have to go back and look through footage. But yeah. how was I, how was I trying to plan this out? And with YouTube, at least in my world, like speed is, is king. So for me, like the faster I can get through a video next, you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I, yeah, I think you learn if, if you do a daily like this, you really learn how to dial it in so that when you go back to a more normal routine, you can really take that with you and be more efficient. Yeah. And I, and I want to talk a little bit about, so I make a lot of different kinds of content on my channel and they all kind of are different in ways. Uh, so there are definitely days where I do vlog content. So it's, you know, follow me on my farm. Like we're going to, I don't know, turn over some beds, plant some stuff, or we have a project we're working on or something like that. And it's more of like, I just take the camera out and just document what happens during the day. And sometimes I just figure out the story as I go along. (laughs) And then afterwards (laughs) I'm like, wait, what's the title of this video? What did we do today? Uh, and then there's <laughs> videos that are much more instructional, um, you know, like much more purposeful. Well, I'll actually like write out an outline. I never script anything, but sometimes I'll have talking points. Um, and those are a lot harder for me because they take a lot more thought. And I feel like a, a more formal teacher in that way. Mm-hmm. And then the interviews and stuff. And that's a whole nother skill set that is I didn't appreciate at all until I pointed a camera at someone and started asking them questions. <laughs> that is... It's hard, especially when you're one man band, you know, you're worried about, you know, producing, directing, filming, audio, and everything for me is outside, run and gun. Like I don't have any lights or anything, just working with Uh the weather. So yeah, it's, it's been wild trying to learn how to do all those things. That's amazing. You've become a producer and a, like a reality show producer, essentially. I mean, it's amazing. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like that. (laughs) I know for me, like being a wedding videographer gave me the skill set to do YouTube because it was similar where you would have occasions where you got to have perfect audio of the bride and the groom during the ceremony. And you've got five cameras during the ceremony and a drone shot. And we would do same day edits sometimes where we edit the whole thing during the reception and then play it at the reception. And, you know, the speed angle was, was so essential. So there's all sorts of different things that you can do to kind of like get your, your skill set going. And, uh, I don't know. That was a little ran- random tangent. What do you edit in, by the way? I use Final Cut. Uh, DaVinci. Really? Okay. Tell yeah. me about your experience learning DaVinci and, and using that as your professional tool. It's a really so powerful I, tool these days. Yeah. I mean, I have no background. So for me, it was like I was editing on my phone the first, I don't know how many videos I shot on my Pixel 3 with a, a small microphone. And uh-huh. I was like... You know, my first camera, I know is your favorite camera, the uh, the M50. So yeah, that camera, (laughs) I made a lot of money off that camera. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So did I. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I have affiliate sales is what I mean. (laughs) No, I just mean like making videos. But yeah, no, totally. totally Um, The the camera continues to uh, be popular still to this day, which is mind blowing. I get it. It's an easy camera to work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I had no background. Uh, I'm a PC user. So to me, uh, Final Cut was um, not an option. Yeah. And when I first started, I don't even remember. I was using something else that was free for a few rounds, a few videos. And then I was like, wait, DaVinci Resolve is free? Like it's legit free? <laughs> it's straight up free. And yeah. I watched some videos and everyone's like, this is like a professional tool. And I just started using it. And I taught myself. And I don't know, maybe a year in, I was like, all right, let's see what's up with, with um, Premiere. And I downloaded a... Um, you know, a trial and I edited a video and I was like, I like DaVinci better. You know, like I just, <laughs> it is better. It's so much faster. Uh, the, the, 
the UI, the way it's designed is, is much more suited for a faster style of editing, which obviously lends itself to, uh, to YouTube. It's kind of crazy to me how many people use Premiere that are YouTubers. It's such a slow program. I don't know. I'm going to probably debate this with Sarah Dietschy in the next episode because um, I know she's a big <laughs> Premiere person. But uh, I like I, I, I think Maddie Hapoya just switched to Final Cut. He was talking about it on Twitter, so um, which is crazy. Okay. He's been such an Adobe guy for years. But uh, Premiere or not, um, Resolve and Final Cut are very similar. So if you're a PC user, absolutely look at Resolve. Um, they've kind of, you know, unashamed unashamedly like stole a lot of things from final cut in terms of the way the the uh the timeline works but they also took things from premiere as well that people kind of get annoyed by final cut with with like the magnetic timeline and stuff but the the amazing thing about resolve is that they've updated the uh the audio stuff now like really well there's a ton of great audio plugins in there you also have of course the incredible color grading built in so i mean you shoot on a fx6 now for your videos or maybe an a7s i don't know yeah the a7s3 uh is like all my filming myself stuff i just picked up the fx6 um recently which was a big purchase for me um yeah. and sort of an investment in myself and um i did own i dabbled with some other cam larger cameras before but i was never really ready for them and i feel like now i can actually like have the skill set to use it totally and i generally bought it for when i'm out filming other people like you can't, I couldn't imagine filming unless I was in a studio all the time. I can't film myself with an FX six. It's just too cumbersome. And yeah, it's not so, designed to be the great thing about the hybrid cameras is they're small, lightweight, and they're kind of made to be run and gun, like, you know, for YouTubers in a way. And they take pictures for thumbnails. So <laughs> yeah, the a seven S is just, man, that camera, it's just incredible. It is. It just, it, it just, yeah, it just blows my mind. I wish it had built-in indies, which is why the FX6 is a good option. I feel like for you, especially having built-in indie is crucial because you're outside it is. so much. It yeah. is. Yeah. I think that was the main reason. I really just, even I still now I'm like, do I really need an FX6? And I'm like, it's really the ND filter. Like to me, yeah. that's everything. Um, when I'm out, you know, filming by myself, I just keep an ND on the lens all the time. And, yeah. uh, you know, I can't get exactly the aperture that I want all the time, but Sure. You know, because I'm a lot of times I'm just out in the sunshine, and I don't wait for certain times to shoot. Like if I'm in the middle of something, I just I piss I pick the best angle I possibly can get, and I just got to roll with it. And sometimes yeah. it just doesn't work, and sometimes it's better than other times. Have you found some little tactics to like get you you know good looking shots even when the sun is just super high and super harsh? I mean, are you looking for shade and things like that when you're filming? Absolutely. I think the A7S was a game changer for me in that I don't have blown out skies anymore. And yeah. <laughs> the dynamic range is just insane. Like I, I don't blow out skies anymore. Um, and so for me, that's been really helpful um, in that I don't stress about it as much. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of times it's like, I'll be in the shade and it's like the background behind me is super bright. And I just, I got to be careful about it. But sometimes like if I'm in a greenhouse and I can only point the camera one direction, either I have to wait like four hours or <laughs> you just got to get the shot. And so to me, I just, I just got to get the shot and just, you know, just yeah. uh, make the grade as best as possible. Well, again, you're already doing more than most. So the fact that like the sky is blown out, it's like, so what? Like, it's probably still better than all the other people in your niche. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. And I'm obsessing about the stuff and no one notices. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing is you got to like, you got to think about your audience, like your audience, they don't notice filmmaking techniques because they're not filmmakers, but like 
but they do you know a little bit <laughs> if it's i kind change of more cameras if i change cameras like people make comments oh wow yeah people like you just said they get used to a certain quality and they notice when it changes so yeah i think that they do notice yeah absolutely it's it's subconscious too like the difference between frame rates you know 24 frames per second 30 and 60 all that type of stuff um most people don't know what it is, but there's kind of a subconscious feeling that they can give you. Do you shoot 24 frames? Yeah, I do. Nice. I I have, uh, w- before we started here, I told you I'm shooting this in 30. Um, I have switched over to 30, uh, even though I've been a 24 guy forever. Are you getting hate for that? Like, are people hating on you, Dave? <laughs> well, this is the first time I'm announcing it. That tells you Uh-oh. how much people noticed. Um, but... My friend Jevin Dovey did a, a great video comparing 24 and 30. And um, the, I think like the smoothness that those those little extra frames give really make it feel less jagged, you know, especially when you're doing motion shots and TV and, you know, TV is always 30. So people are already used to seeing it. And in a way, YouTube, I don't see YouTube as uh, filmmaking. I see it more as TV. So I'm kind of matching the the format of what I believe YouTube is, which is more of a TV format. So also I'm going and I'm, I'm starting part of the reason why I'm building this set is because on the other side, the opposite side of this set is my next venture, which is an entertainment and comedy reaction channel. Um, and it's going to be more for teenagers and stuff like that. So, you know, shooting 30 for that is, I think makes more sense. So I haven't really experimented with it. I just know like when I started, like all the nerds are like, you got to shoot in 24. So I'm like, all right, I'll shoot in 24. I get it. It's fine with me. Maybe you should do some tests. See, shoot an entire episode in 30 frames per second and see if you like how it looks and see if anybody even notices. I bet nobody even can tell, to be honest. But No, probably not. Although I do like to stay consistent for the sake of if I ever want to pull a clip from something else. And I have done that. I don't do it often, but if I go back and I try to grab something that's really old and I'm like, oh, I shot that on my phone. It's in 30. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You so can slow just, it down. Slow it down to I don't 24. Know. You can slow 30 frames per second down to 24 by like, what is it, like maybe 80% or something. And it, it actually it fits in a 24 timeline. Then you get those few extra frames to give it a slight slow-mo effect. Yeah. I also like shoot like when I shoot slow motion, I get a little bit slower. So I don't know. It's kind of nice. Like if you're shooting 120 and you're, you know, you get a little bit more slow motion. See, we could, we can nerd out about all this stuff all day long. I love this, man. I could talk about stuff all day. (laughs) So, um, with your YouTube strategy moving forward, what are some of the things that, that you've got kind of in your brain, uh, lined up for, for, you know, next kind of chapter of of your channel i mean you're at 160,000. i'm sure your goal is to hit 200 this year hopefully uh you know i'm sure you can do it but sometimes subscribers isn't necessarily a good goal to have it's more about sustainability and, and consistency but anyways what are some of the things that you're looking forward to with your channel and, and things that you're trying to push for yeah so one thing i really loved and i put a pause on it during like seven months of COVID was visiting other farms just because I was like, I don't feel comfortable. I want to make sure yeah. everyone's okay with it. And it's it's different now because, I mean, you're outside and you keep distance and all that stuff. And so it's the risk sure. was pretty low. And I think that's one of my favorite things is to show other farms. And I spend way more time on those videos. Like, I mean, they're longer. Uh, I did some great videos telling stories about, you know, certain farmers that, you know, like one lady started a flower farm um, to to give her a place for her autistic son to work and, and develop. 
Um, you know, there's there's so many cool people I've interviewed and got to talk with, and I, I love that, and it makes me more interested in doing documentary type work yeah. in the future. And I think that's sort of, you know, like these short, like informal mini docs, I would call them. I mean, they're not like formal docs and that I would think of, but I like I'll talk during them and, and those sorts of things and interview yeah. the person. Um, and so I really enjoy doing that. And now that the weather's nice, I'll start doing some more of those. I got to line up some and, uh, you know, just continue it. Uh, you know, for me also, I've switched farms a few times in the last few years. I also ran a nonprofit urban farm last year. Uh, during mm-hmm. 2020 and so we re- rebuilt that farm from scratch cool. and that was a whole storyline and I'm back home farming again and that's been a storyline the last three four months rebuilding my farm so I'm not really sure what's gonna you know moving forwards uh, I also do some video work with another uh, farming group and so we have some projects lined up there and I'm really hoping to push a little bit beyond YouTube at this point um, I really want to work on some projects that are not for YouTube that's sort mm-hmm. of my goal for this year it's so like documentary style stuff or like just bigger projects or. I mean, right now I, I know how to film like one thing. Like I know how to, <laughs> I know how to do farming content. Um, and so for me, I just wanted some newer experiences. Uh, but I love documentaries in general. And um, that would definitely be something I'd be interested in working on. Yeah. Have you thought about TikTok and YouTube shorts and all that kind of stuff? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can barely keep up with Instagram at this point. I mean, I was hard on Instagram I actually changed it from my farm name to just my name um, last year. And I was using that as a marketing thing for my farm to try to get customers. And now that YouTube is taking up so much time, I don't even have time for Instagram. Like I am, I don't really post much over there. I don't know how to balance all these things. I have too many things going on. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, I'll just stick to what I do. Like, (laughs) otherwise it's like, you're in, you're in shorts, you're in reels, you're in clubhouse, you're in. I know, it's exhausting. yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I don't have FOMO for that stuff. Like just <laughs> I'm doing my thing, whatever. Have you thought about hiring uh, shooters, editors, things like that, starting to build a team? Yeah. People reached out to me. I just, I just like doing it solo for now. Uh, it's yeah. just really simple. It's like on my time. Um, you know, do I get the same production level? No. Um, I don't think I could give up the edit. I don't think I could. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be really, really hard. Well, I, I've heard interviews with Marquez Brownlee from MKBHD, and he even, I think, edits 90% of the of his videos. I think there's something to YouTube that lends itself to being a solo kind of creation. Obviously, if your name is part of the, the channel, it kind of is a reflection on this is the artist that you're following, and this is their creation, you know. Um, however, that being said... Uh, you know, scalability wise, you look at like Linus tech tips, one of the biggest tech channels, he's got, you know, seven channels. I think he's got seven writers on staff, um, you know, shooters, editors, all sorts of things. So he's running a a TV network essentially, uh, at that scale. So, um, there's just two different directions you can go with it. And Casey Neistat is a great example of a solo kind of creator editor type of thing, but he did have people working for him when he was doing the uh, the daily vlogs, I think he had a, a music person who their entire job was finding tracks. And then um, I think I heard he had a foundational editor as well. But Interesting. That's yeah. interesting to hear about Marquez. Um, that gives me even more respect for Marquez, even though I didn't, I already had a lot of respect for that guy. Oh, yeah. um, he does have a team of writers I, yeah, now I, and, and, and shooters, obviously, but it's still a smaller team. He's got about, I think, five or six people there. So... 
um, for a channel of his size, it's still pretty small. I, lo- I wish someone would pick up music for me. I waste, waste way too much time trying to find music for every video. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's amazing what you could, you can f- hire people to do like little things that can really help like a thumbnail artist or a, you know, um, I have a friend who worked, who worked for John Prosser from, uh, not John Prosser. Um, I don't remember some tech channel. Anyways, they have like a guy on staff that literally works on thumbnails and titles. And it's like, man, that'd be so great. If you had somebody that was just sitting there coming up with thumbnails and titles for your videos, you know, um, is that, is there something that switched for you when you started learning about YouTube? You know, when you first started out, it's probably like, okay, this, you know, I'm just going to make a video about X. Like now when you think about a video, I would imagine that you're thinking about the title, the thumbnail, the presentation of it. Is this going to get more views than this? Or do you just kind of go out and just make what you want? Cause you know, what the hell? <laughs> um, first of all, I hate making titles and thumbnails. So that <laughs> I would love to, uh, to send that out. I have a friend of mine that helps me a lot with that. He's also a podcaster, YouTuber, and I work with him, uh, on, you know, collaborative projects. So we sort of bounce a lot of that stuff off each other. And that, I think that's really helpful if you have someone that you can work creatively with and, you know, say, Hey, this is an idea and we'll go back and it'll just like, it'll start happening. We'll just start firing back text, And it's like, all right, we got the title for this. Um, and bouncing ideas around. I, that's been really helpful for me, but I, he would rather do titles and thumbnails than make videos. And I would much rather make videos than do titles and thumbnails. <laughs> I, I don't like it. It's like, it's really hard and you never really it know is, what's yeah. going to work and what's not. Um, so to, to what you're asking about, you know, when I'm thinking about videos, yeah, I think a lot about it because at this point, you know, some of my income is related to YouTube, so I need it to perform. And I think once you have that pressure on yourself, that changes everything. Like when I first started, I was like, whatever, this is fun. And then you're like, okay, well, how much did I make this month? (laughs) So, So it changes it for sure. Um, if you could be the CEO of YouTube, um, what would be one of the changes that you would make to the platform? Is there one specific frustration that you've had with YouTube? Take out the dislike button. <laughs> Take it out completely? Yeah, no thumbs down. What's the point? It's for YouTube's algorithm to know if it's if people, but most like people it. Don't, but most people don't understand that. They just go, ugh, thumbs down. And like, yeah. <laughs> I'll post a video and like within an hour, there's like multiple thumbs downs. And I'm like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they recently uh, are they're they're beta testing that right like the idea of not showing the amount of dislikes. This like button still exists. It's just I think they're doing. I don't know if you saw they announced it recently that they're removing the uh, the number itself so that oh the did idea, that already start yeah they're rolling it out. I think it's beta testing right now. But yeah, the idea is that they still get their data. Like if there really is somebody that truly dislikes it. Um, they get that data and the, the creator gets to see that, but there's no visual number, um, which may deter those people who just do it because they hate you, you know? <laughs> Are they, well, that was like a failed experiment with Instagram, right? Didn't they try that in like Canada? Didn't they put it back in? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. But is there a dislike? There's not a dislike on Instagram. No, it's no, just, no, just like, no, but right? they got rid of the, so. the like. Yeah. The number. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, that's interesting for sure. Are they going to start getting rid of view counts and stuff? Like, you know, at some point, like, I don't know, <laughs> maybe people are complaining about the dislike button. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I I would assume that it has to do with, you know, um, they're always doing analytical things. So there's got to be a reason for it. There might be a skew of the people who dislike purely because they want to see that number go up or something, you know. Um, 
But yeah, it, it is funny how if you're a YouTuber, no matter what size you are, you probably have a hater out there and you're never, you're never a success until you get your haters. And it's pretty funny how quickly people will dislike a video without even watching it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think that's one thing that when people ask about being a YouTuber is the the haters like you could have a hundred amazing comments and one person says something and they don't they're just a troll they just they're firing things off they're not having a yeah. good day whatever and you'll sit and you'll think about that comment and you're like man maybe i don't know about this thing or <laughs> yeah it's that you have a really thick skin and most days i'm like whatever but some days they get to you I, you yeah. have to be aware of that yeah totally you have to, you have to have a thick skin to be on the internet professionally because the, there's just a lot of terrible people out there who just are angry. Yeah. And yeah. And just being more of a public person. I mean, people know who I am in my community and you know, like I purposely don't show my wife or kids like ever. Mm -hmm. Like I, that is a separate thing. Um, I don't want anyone saying like, Oh, I, you know, I recognize you from this or like, no, that's, that's completely separate for me. Yeah. Same here. I try to limit that, especially after getting robbed twice. I don't, I never promote where I am. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, you gotta be careful with that. Have you had people, have you had like some creepy fan interactions? Have people come not to your creepy, farm? Not creepy, not um, creepy. Purposefully, like I don't have my address listed anywhere for my farm because it's my house. Uh, but <laughs> last year when I was at the nonprofit farm, that's obviously public. I mean, I told people where I worked and people would come by. Like it was, you know, David, it's crazy when you start a YouTube channel, you don't have to know anybody. You just start posting videos. Like it's yeah. it, that, that online community could be all over the world. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to run the nonprofit forum. It was to, a lot to be in person and education and all that stuff. And then COVID hit and we had to like, all that stuff got thrown out. But for the first like month, I would say that after I started working there, I had probably two people a day come by. Wow. Just like, Hey, I wa love your channel, man. I just want to say hello. And I'm like, oh my God, these are real people that watch. These aren't just <laughs> subscriber numbers and views. Like, you, I think you forget that all the time that there's actually people watching all this stuff. And 100%. we get really caught up in the analytics. Like, oh, I only got this many thousand views or, you know, yeah. you just, I just, I got to keep in perspective sometimes, but no, I haven't yeah. any really creepy people. <laughs> no. That's good. That's good. I've, maybe it's, it's because you have a good community of people and, and you've been able to foster that, but. Um, yeah, I think after the whole COVID thing happened, obviously there haven't been any events and those were some of my favorite things to do as a gear reviewer was going to NAB and, and Cine Gear and, uh, CES, all these places where people who watch my type of content go to hang out. And it was just so great to meet people, uh, in that niche who, who watch our videos. And it's, it's crazy. It's like, there were a couple of times in my life where people like literally in public, you know, in a very random scenario with my family are like, are you Dave Mays? And I'm like, yeah, well, yes, I am. See, see mom, I'm, I am cool. Like, <laughs> but you know, you and I, like the only people who watch our stuff is the people in that niche. So, you know, I'm not famous at all, just in a very tiny little subsect of YouTube and same for you, but um, it is fun and, and, kind of mind-blowing because you're basically just talking to a camera all the time by yourself either in a room or in your case outside in a farm and it, it does it's a lonely kind of job you know um, I have a friend who's a professional comedian and he talks about how that's a, a lonely job as well like 
you are speaking in front of people on stage and you do have interactions with people, but for the most part, you're just in a hotel by yourself traveling on planes and buses and whatever, uh, musicians, all type of entertainers like that. It's a lonely profession because, um, you may be impacting thousands of people in our case, you know, videos, uh, and in their case being on stage, but at the end of the day, it is you and a camera and that's about it. <laughs> so yeah and i think also that there's the mental drain also with with youtube in particular where you're constantly looking at performance and yes. it's all very public it's like oh how good did that video do how did it not do um all that kind of stuff i think gets sort of yeah. overlooked in the sort of like mental taxation of being a youtuber and all the interaction with people that just say stuff like they don't have any you know like i'm sure you in the in the filmmaking world there's plenty of people that they don't do this professionally. They don't have any skin in the game, yet they're going to tell you everything you did wrong. And <laughs> yeah. like for me in the farming world, I get that all the time. And I'm like, you've never grown a vegetable before or you've never <laughs> sold a vegetable before. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's hard to like, you know, keep all that together when you're trying to, you know, make be positive. Can you imagine what it's like to be a professional athlete? <laughs> like, uh, no, the amount of fans and hate that you get from people who literally have never, ever, ever considered or, or been on the field or, you know, raced a car or whatever, you know, the amount of pressure that they get, I could imagine, especially now that social media is a thing. Um, I'm currently watching the Formula One show on uh, Netflix. It's really, I highly recommend it. I've never had any interest in F1 racing, but now I'm like a total uber fan of it because the amount of drama and the amount of intensity of the sport is is crazy but you see some of the behind the scenes of like you know one of the drivers is just really kind of like one comment from a tweet uh really affected him and it, it, it he was like people forget that we're people and that words hurt and even celebrities could look at a tweet that somebody says negatively and you kind of put it out there and in our case somebody in a comment section may say something and they don't see you as a, a real person you're just you're a person making videos on the internet and it's interesting how the, the human mind works that way it's like oh this thing i would never say to this person in, in their face i'm going to say in a comment and it can really right. affect you yeah, so. I've i've been more of a fan of the hide user from channel button uh i am not <laughs> afraid to use that anymore I just, yeah. especially it, it, I, the one thing about my channel is I keep it free of politics, religion, like we stay focused on farming, like we're on growing food. And so if anyone's in there, you know, being derogatory or wants to talk about politics on either side, you know, if it's, if it's <laughs> left or I don't care, like it's gone. Like I don't, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's not helping the conversation. So I have no problem with that anymore. Well, that's the beautiful thing about your channel. You're the curator of it in a way, and it isn't a free an open place you can delete them <laughs> and i would do that all the time when i was hosting indie mogul people would be like you're not ted you suck i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna delete that one <laughs> yeah i i used to feel bad and now i'm like just get out of here this isn't helping anybody you know <laughs> yeah, exactly uh, make sure you hit the viral button <laughs> yeah that's my that's my favorite i i used to work with clients you know in a video as a freelancer and and it was always like so our goal is to make a viral video I'm like, well, yeah, okay. I'll make sure to hit the viral button when I hit upload. Um. <laughs> right. Uh, to me, though, I think there's a lot of... The viral thing blows me away. Like, I, 
like uh, another viral video I had was last January about my a, a goose that I had, uh-huh. um, and it's it's a goose that guards all the chickens, and um, it got over a million views. Wow. So it blew me away. Like that was a video I made, and I was like, really a good title thumbnail. That's I, I think that's the <laughs> only thing it has got going for it. I mean, the video is interesting if you care about it, but um, I think I'm really trying to focus. And back to one of your questions earlier on. Trying to create content that's searchable is what I like to call it. I know you, I think you refer to it as like evergreen content, but yeah. I always say like searchable content. So for me, it's like a trellis or, you know, if someone wants to learn how to, you know, transplant lettuce or things like that. Like those views, if you get enough of those on your channel and they're picking up 500 views a day or a couple hundred views a day, you get enough of those. And all of a sudden, like your your views per day is just constantly higher. And mm-hmm. I think that's a strategy that gets overlooked because I think that we're always trying to get that quick view or like uh-huh. you get a video out and then you get like a lot of views really quickly. And we're trying to get that, you know, that title thumbnail game. But I think the long-term searchable content is, uh, is really what has been very successful for me overall with my channel. So as I'm just being an armchair expert over here, browsing your channel, the two things that stand out to me or the, the one thing that stands out to me about your two most viral videos is that they're both very punny, the title. So a, tr- a trellis to make you jealous. I love my guard goose, period. His name is Larry, period. Like, that's hilarious. Um, I don't see any other, like, very f- super funny titles. Uh, I'm sure you have some. But maybe that's one of the reasons yeah. is that it's more, the title's more appealing to non-farmers. You know, it's like, oh, that's hilarious. What What is this? Like, I don't even know what a trellis yeah. is, but that's a great title and I'm like, uh, uh, okay, I'll watch this. And the guard goose one is like, it almost looks, and the, the picture is perfect. It's just like this very heroic goose, you know, with his with his hens. And uh, the, the, obviously the concept of that is hysterical, that a goose is like hanging out with chickens there, I guess. Um, at least that's what the, the thumbnail title tell me. So I've actually been having that um, those debates lately about making it more punny. Like my buddy Jesse, who I was talking about before, he loves like everything's got to rhyme and be a joke. And I'm like, I don't know, is that searchable? Like, are people gonna be like realize that, um, you know, that's what the title is like? That's what that thing's for. So I think if yeah. you can create a clever title thumbnail, but also like make sure that that main word that people are looking for shows up. So like the trellis sure. example. If people are looking for a trellis system for their tomatoes, if they type it in, they'll see the word trellis and they'll see yeah. the picture and then the clever title like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. Click. Exactly. So I think that's that's what's helpful there. The guard goose one, the comment section on that one is incredible. Like it, it's like <laughs> out of control because people are watching it that have no idea what any of this stuff is. They're like, I'm up yeah. at 3 a.m. and this and YouTube told me to watch. Why am I watching this? Yeah, that's and you can't. Those are the types of videos you definitely can't plan on. You know, those are kind no. of just a lot of fun when you get it lightning in a bottle sometimes but the thing that's interesting that i've been learning as i'm i'm kind of getting more into youtube um is that yeah you you do want to a good strategy starting out is is playing to the search algorithm because people don't know who you are but there is a point where you can reach a certain threshold where you can kind of change your strategy to be more like what your friend is saying you know because people start to watch your stuff because they know who you are. They're subscribed. They, they like your stuff. Uh, Peter McKinnon and Maddie were kind of talking about that and how they're kind of done with doing tutorials. They feel like it's dead for them because 
first off, they're kind of bored. It's kind of like I've done every tutorial I can think of at this point. What else can I do? Um, and so they're going to a new chapter as as essentially personalities and creators. And obviously, Mr. Beast's videos, they're not searchable. Nobody's searching for I buried myself alive for 50 hours. Like nobody's searching that. So, But the title is so clickable that every time YouTube shows it to somebody, people click on it. So I think that's a great example of the goose uh, thumbnail and title is that every time YouTube suggests it to people, it has a higher than average click through rate because it's such an interesting and clickable title and thumbnail. So you can also think about it that way. Like, yes, this isn't a searchable term, but it sure is clickable because it's, you know, very catchy or whatever, you know. Yeah, I think that that style of video, like you were talking about doing instructional content versus other things for like, you know, Pete and Maddie. Um, you know, for me, I've always had a wide variety of content on my channel. And I noticed that like if I'll post like the same style of video a few times in a row, the analytics will get better. And then mm. I'll post something different and it'll tank. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, this is just what I do here. I just eat it because I want to produce different kinds of content and yeah. uh, I'm not freaking out about all the views. But I think that that's, I think once YouTube knows what you do, they know where to push it. Yeah, they put you in a bucket and it's just like, okay, this is what he does. And, oh, he's not doing that anymore, you know, or whatever. So it do, it's a lot of trial and error and, and kind of, again, consistency too. Like um, I've been reading uh, Daryl Eve's book, The YouTube Formula. Have you picked that up? Or are you familiar with that book? I haven't, no. I'll send you a link. Uh, Daryl Eves is like one of, if not the expert on YouTube. I mean, he's been around since... 2004 2005 when it started he's kind of helping mr beast he's helped a lot of other people along the way and he wrote this book called the youtube formula and he talks about having different buckets of content that you essentially cycle through each each month so you have you know in my case a review you have a tutorial uh maybe uh you know i was doing comedy music video parodies you know so there's three different types of content they all relate to tech and camera stuff and you know, on one week of the month, I do this type, the next week I do this type and, and so on. So essentially you want to have at least four buckets that way each week you can kind of experiment with, with one of those buckets and you can't really like the life of a video isn't 48 hours. The, the true judge of a video is about 28 days. So you post a video and then 28 days later, you want to look at the analytics and then, you know, you can obviously adjust that. So each month you do one of these four buckets of, of content that's its own kind of style. And then after you've done about four or five or six of these uh, over a six month period, then you really have some good data to look at, to, to analyze. Okay. After six months of trying this each month, it doesn't work. So cut it out. You know, these have been slowly picking up traction and these are working. So let's continue this, you know, whatever. So that's a good way to kind of experiment with different types of, of content. However, um, if you want to be like crazy successful, finding one thing that works every time and just like being perfect and proficient at that one thing is probably still going to be your best bet. Mr. Beast, again, is the best example of that. His main channel, every video is better than the last and he continues to, to make them more ridiculous. And he's never, he's like, I, I have ideas to, to do on it, but they're not as good. And so I'm just not going to do them. And you know, he's kind of stubborn in that way. He doesn't make any money on that channel too. I've heard him say, which is kind of hilarious. Um, his other channels help sustain the main channel. <laughs> so, 
I I don't want to spend that much time uh, thinking about growth on my channel. Like to me, it's it's about creating content that's valuable for people that are watching. And I personally try to just do, make the the next video better than the last. If it's you know how organized I am, um, you know the the quality of the video, the content, um, and I it's nice to see growth and it's been fun. Like it's a lot of fun, uh, you know, cause there's the feedback, there's a feedback loop there, but, uh, to me, it's just never been my goal. And I'm just blown away where I'm at at this point. Like it's, I'm, I don't know. Like I looked, I, that's why I watch a lot of uh, other kinds of content because in the farming space, I don't see a lot of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like I need to, you know, get ideas from, from, from elsewhere for, uh, for content and, styles and things like that and i pulled a lot of influence from a lot of different people um i think all of us you know watch other creators and like oh i like that little bit or i like you know i want to mix in some 120 i want some time lapses i want to mix in the music like this um i you know there's some days you get lazy and you just talk to the camera for like 10 minutes and there's some days (laughs) you like really want to make things more intricate because you have more time or energy yeah it's kind of all over the place i i don't know i'm not like trying to make the channel like be this big in so much time. I'm just feeling lucky that uh, they have an audience and people are interested Heck in what yeah. I'm what I'm doing. So that's how kind of I feel about it. I think that's a great way to close it out. And I think it's important to remember that the only true person that you're competing with is yourself. And as long as you're building upon that and getting better and learning and growing and also making a difference in people's lives, that's a positive change. Um, what else could you ask for? I mean, you have a you have a wife, you have kids, you got a great family, you got a great job. Um, at the end of the day, like how far, how many views do we need to make? How much money do we need to make? I've, I've, for me personally, I get joy and peace and happiness from the the perfect balance of work and, and my actual life and the relationships that I have, cause that's really all that matters. So. Agreed hundred percent. And I think a lot of my mission on my channel and the other work that I do with agriculture is really about helping with sustainable agriculture and, growing food in a way that's healthier for the planet and healthier for us. And so I'm just a small part. I'm just a drop in the bucket. And if, if just a few people are growing a little bit more food at home or get a couple chickens or whatever from, <laughs> you know, it, it's amazing. The, some of the comments I get from people and DMS that like, Hey, I just started a farm and I'm making money and it's unbelievable. I just grew my first, whatever that stuff is mind blowing. That is, that is like the coolest part about it for me, for sure. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, for being a guest. It was really enlightening for me to, to learn about the farming community and everybody go check out Josh's channel. We'll link it in the description and in the uh, show notes below. I'll have to have you on again sometime. Thanks again, Josh. Talk to you later. I, I absolutely appreciate it, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. Hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Josh Satin. If you haven't subscribed to the Golden Hour podcast already, would you please subscribe in your podcast player of choice and head over to YouTube as well, where you can watch video interviews with all of our guests. That's youtube.com slash ghpod. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Golden Hour podcast, and we'll see you next week.